I wiped out that debt in a year. And wow. Yeah, I created a business. I created a business that got me out of a hundred thousand dollars of debt in one year. And then I had eight very good years after that, very abundant years. Welcome back to the Ambitious Life Podcast. I'm your host, Dusty DeGroff. Are you looking for a crash course in mind control? If you are, then episode six with Simon Parsons provides that crash course. How does Simon control his mind? Living and breathing gratitude, seeing money as a great mindset teacher, knowing the difference between perspective and comparison, and how living a full sin life can help us cure the feeling of, I'm not enough. There's a short list of people who push me to start this podcast and live a full sin life. Simon is at the top of that list. If you like this podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes out every Thursday. And if you find this podcast useful, leave a review to let me know how I'm doing. Thanks for listening. Here we go. As dads, we have a ton of priorities that pull us in many different directions. We are not alone in this. And because of that, we should share what works and what doesn't work. We need to be our best selves first. Then we can be the best husbands and dads that we can be. The best way to share these tips is through the Ambitious Life Podcast. My guest today is Simon Parsons, not a life coach. He's a Thrive Coach, PhD in full syndology, which I freaking love. Masters in not give a f- what others say. I, he teaches entrepreneurs how to stand out on LinkedIn. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. It's been so good getting to know you, my brother. I am so excited for what you are doing. You are leading the way. I love the three pillars that you've put together. Um, why don't you shout those out really quick? Thank, thank you, sir. So again, the three pillars, what this came from was really my dad. And he said, hey, you know what? You know, this was midsummer last year. He goes, you really focus on mental fitness, physical fitness, and financial fitness. And that just hit me. And I was like, dang, dad, like you're totally right. And I've just run with it. And the quick history on that was I started as a a personal trainer. I was out of shape, had a ton of weight to lose, just engulfed myself in that, got in the best shape of my life and then shared that. Then I realized that, hey, wait a minute. It's not all about throwing around weights and working out five to six days a week. What's between our ears is, is just as important. And that's when I went and chased down a master's in sports psychology. I also joked that that was to master my own golf game. And so that's where that kind of led to the mental piece and meditation and stoicism. And then the final piece was at 34, I woke up one day and was like, wait a minute, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I have no retirement, no college funds for my kids. I need to figure this out. And what do I do? I just throw myself in, change careers. And here we are. So that's the financial fitness piece. That's awesome. I love all three of those topics. And I feel like, uh, well, obviously, you and I probably resonate with that and with us both, both being dads, too. Uh, I think it's important to teach our kids those um, three pillars. And it's amazing because, like, I, you know, from a mindset perspective, I do a lot of coaching myself, but also have had many mentors or people that I've followed. And I don't know if you ever see like a mindset coach that just really is is overweight or not taking care of their health. It kind of makes you question it, you know, I kind of feel like. That's an important thing. And if you're on your A game, you know, with your mindset, then you should be able to uh, spend some time and focus on, on your health and your fitness as well. And obviously, if you're successful, both of those, I think that you should be 
you know, you shouldn't be letting, you know, income uh, go out the back door. I think that, you, you know, mindset is also being able to understand that, you know, money is energy and how, how can you keep that in, in an abundant state? And that's, gosh, I don't even, we could go on forever on any of those topics. I feel like I could do a podcast on each one of those, if not many. I'm an absolute uh, advocate for abundance and money mindset. It's a, a topic that I just geek out about, my friend. Well, let's, you know what, we're going to flip it. So I almost always start with the mental piece and then work, work my way through the physical piece and then finish with the financial piece. But one of my questions I literally got from you and something you and I rap about all the time. And that is, should we live within our means or should we expand our means? And I always like to ask my guests about what they think of that. So since I got it from you, I want you to expand on that thought. You know, I first got that. I think I heard that from Rob Kiyosaki. I've been following him for decades now. Um, he's a little bit controversial, and I'm not, I'm not. I wouldn't say that like I agree with him on everything, but I do like that he's insightful and he gets you thinking. He uh, really gets you thinking about like a business mindset instead of just living paycheck to paycheck or working for an income, trading your time for income. So definitely, I believe in expanding as well. Like, I, I just feel like um, we are unlimited, we, we are limitless, and we are abundant, and we can, you know, it's all about asking yourself the right question, right? Do I want to live within my means, or do I want to expand that? And I think you can all, it's always good to live within your means, but, that, you know, you're kind of putting yourself in a box, whereas if you're in expansion, you know, you can create a bigger box and keep growing that, or maybe not, not even having a box, right? teaching, you know, creating money to work for you. As you know, I'm a big fan of dividend and residual passive income. That's where I think you really take the walls down as far as the box and you get money to work for you instead of, you know, trading your time for money. Absolutely. And I think that there's, you know, some people do chase those big numbers and salaries. And that's, I want to be clear, we, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about working 80, 90 hours per week to have a big house and all the cars and things like that. We're talking about how can you leverage everybody around you, leverage your money for you and still be able to work, you know, 30, 40 hours a week, whatever it is, be with your family when you want. And, and so that you're not worried about like, Hey, sorry, I can't go to the soccer game because I'm expanding my means. That's not what we're talking about. Exactly. Here, you just brought up another good point too. When you're not always worried about it, like I think you actually free yourself up to be more abundant, right? Like, so if you have a balance beam and you are one foot or four feet off the ground, you're going to be fine walking across that. We can all cross a balance beam like that, but you take that sucker and you put it up, <laughs> up onto a building where it's, you know, a couple hundred feet, like most of us would not dare cross that, right? I think it's the same with finances. Once you start, you know, getting better without those and you advise a lot of clients to, you know, I'm sure you uh, help them create um, not just a rainy day fund, but um, uh, passive income. And once you start getting um, a nice nest egg going, it actually helps you make decisions that are a little bit, maybe some would consider them risky, but like that balance, you have safety net under, under you. I mean, you guys call it a safety safety net often uh, in in financial lingo, and I think that explains it perfectly, right? Like 
that's the balance beam that's just a few feet off the ground instead of one that's hundreds of feet up in the air. It just allows you to, to take a little bit more risk, um, you know, calculated risk and be smart with it. And, and also think of new ways to create income, right? Right, right. No, I love that. So on this theme, what is your top financial goal for 2021? Uh, so I have a goal to, this is interesting because I've always had financial goals. This year, I actually don't. I have serving other people. That's my goal. So I, last year, I created a couple, a couple of new streams of income. One was one-on-one -on -one coaching, and the other one was I do LinkedIn coaching. So I do group, uh, a group coaching um, that's about eight weeks. And that allows me to substantially increase my hourly income. And eventually, I'd like to automate that to the point where I have very little. Um, uh, I'll do maybe two live Q&A sessions per week. But I've got most of the content built already. Uh, I've been doing live calls. Uh, the next step on that is to completely make it a digital course and then maybe have like a few uh, Q&A sessions per week. But at that point, I can leverage that you know, infinitely. And yeah. my goal for 2021 is to serve 1000 people, help entrepreneurs and business owners get better at creating a LinkedIn uh, presence and their personal branding and to help attract clients. So I've shifted from like a dollar amount that I want to uh, create and to basically how many people I want to serve. So if you had a thousand courses that were sold at, you know, 250 to $500,000 per sale, you know, that, and then you add in, you know, income from my sales role and then my personal coaching and then, you know, some passive income, it could be, I don't know what that number is going to be, but it could be, you know, close. <laughs> I'd say closer to the million dollar mark than the half million dollar mark. And then next year, I actually do have a financial goal of bringing in $1 million in the calendar year. See, I mean, perfect um, way to explain, expand your means, right? Where you continue to just build these different streams that allow you to, and then as you get, you, you automate it more and then you remove yourself from that. So then that frees up time. So again, kind of thinking along those lines, is time what you value most? Yes and no. Um, I do value time, but I also, I feel like being passionate about what you do is the most important thing because I think a lot of people have this paradigm of like, I'm just going to go work my ass off and hustle and grind so I can make this certain amount of money in that point that I will be free and I'll be able to do what I want to do. I work with physicians and it's in their blood to help save people's lives. And a lot of them, they work their asses off like 60 hours, 80 hours per week. And then they get, you know, this point where they just, you know, they're done and then they retire and they just, I think you would probably relate to this. This kind of bleeds into a mindset, but like once you stop working, a lot of times you lose your purpose, you lose your why and you age, you know, quite a little, quite, quite a bit faster. Right. So I think for me, it's, it's kind of a combination. Yes, I do value time, but I want freedom to do whatever I want to do. I, I feel like I'm going to be working, you know, indefinitely. I can't see myself actually ever retiring. And my biggest goal is to be able to do what it is that I want to do at any time. And I'm sure I'll be working uh, <laughs> quite a bit. That's just, it, I love the game, dude, but it has to be the right game. Like, I don't want to be playing baseball. I want to be playing the game that I love, the stuff that I'm passionate about. You know, I, 
gosh, I could be going on forever about just the three pillars that you're talking about. So if I'm coaching and mindset or something that has to do with like health and fitness or even finance, and I think I do that to a certain extent. I mean, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, but I do coach to money mindset and abundance mindset. And I, I, yeah, that's, I think that's, I'm almost there, right? Like, I feel like I'm exactly where I need to be. Like I've got financial abundance and I am doing the stuff that I absolutely love. So I feel it, man. I yeah. Feel it. Yeah. So, and, and we're, we're close, you know, we're, we're just a couple states. Well, not even really, we're a border apart, right? You're out Absolutely. there in Utah, I'm here in Colorado. And so what's a common belief about budgeting, financing, finance, investing that you grew up believing. And then once you got older, it's like, man, that's a total myth. That's so, such a fascinating question. I think that this is the root of where people have money blocks, right? So when you were a kid, your brain is in a very malleable state. You absorb so much information. You learn to replicate what other people do. So if you have parents that are saying stuff like money doesn't grow on trees, we don't have enough money, things like that, it gets embedded and people don't even realize this, but that affects their behaviors through the rest of their lives. And I think that's why a lot of people struggle with like money and abundance mindset. I actually um, had a lot of those in me and then when I was 18, I ended up working, well, maybe it was like 16, I ended up working in the Salt Lake Country Club with some of the wealthiest people in the state. And I ended up dating um, the daughter of a very prominent banks, you know, chair, chairman of a bank. And I got to see that like wealthy people aren't any different than us. They just have less limited, limited mindsets around money. So to a very wealthy person, they just think differently about how you acquire money. They have different beliefs about it. And that usually translates to their kids. And so when I was around this, like my conscious mind was thinking, well, um, yeah, like anybody can be wealthy. You know, it's they're not different people. They just have different beliefs about money or different limiting beliefs around money. And so I, I realized that and I still had all these limited, you know, money blocks within me inside of my subconscious. And it was crazy because like my, my history was one of like rising and falling. Like I've had ebbs and flows. Like I've created massive abundance and I've wiped it all out before I've crashed and burned dusty. And I realized looking back, the reason why is because there's a dissonance between my conscious mind and my subconscious. So I'd say the stuff that I, I heard when I was a kid was just, you know, like we've got to live within our means. Um, money doesn't grow on trees. Um, why do you, this is a big one is why do you need to have a lot of money? Because when I was younger, I was, you know, I was an entrepreneur in training and sometimes my father would say, I don't, I don't quite understand Simon. Why do you need to go after it like that? And that kind of creates a little bit of guilt, right? So if I say I want to make a million dollars in a year, there's a small part of my brain that has absorbed this, like, feeling of like, ah, gosh, is that greedy, right? Yeah. So I think greed plays it, you know, people feel guilty for wanting money. And yeah. you can do a lot of good things with it. I think you and I have had this discussion about some of the most amazing people, the giving pledge, people can do a lot of good with money. And yeah, I, that's a great question. And I hope I answered that in a way that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that to your point, we, not just with money, but as you know, how we're raised and everything like that, we carry those 
thoughts and those processes. And, and as, as you know, as a father, our kids mimic us. And, you know, I had this moment, uh, I, I'm really in the growth mindset. And so I always, I never tell my son, hey, you, you know, great job. You know, you're really smart or anything like that. I'm proud of you. It's always the conversation of like, hey, think of all the hard work you put in. All your hard work paid off. That's why you did so well on that test. And he responded with one time, well, you know, dad, I'm not great at taking tests. And that crushed me because that's something I always told myself. And clearly this is a seven, now eight-year-old reciting that back to me. He doesn't know that. That came from us. Mm -hmm. and so that's where I flipped it right there. And again, was like, well, no, don't worry about that. Don't think about that. Just all your hard work is always going to pay off. And when he, uh, he finished second, his team did in baseball, you know, they, they lost the championship game. They shouldn't even been there. It was unbelievable. And I said, Hey, you know, he was just beaming with the trophy. And, and I looked at him and I said, you know, this is really cool. But what I'm more proud of is that out you got, because we've been practicing catching the ball and touching the base. And I was, you know, you went five for five at the plate. We've been practicing every night. That's what I'm proud of. It's all the hard work paid off. And so it's that kind of stuff because I might be two in my head on this kind of stuff, but because of that, just what you said, as we grow up, we carry that stuff. And then now we battle it as we get older. Yeah, it truly, a lot of times that stuff ends up being some form of I'm not enough. Like the core of almost everybody's limiting beliefs is just some form of I'm not enough. And it, it comes from like parents mostly. Right. And, and, I love that you're aware of that. I, in speaking of growth mindset, that, that book by Carol Dweck, uh, Mindset, where she coined that term, amazing. You know, she does talk about kids in there and how we can impact them by asking the right questions and focusing on the hard work and not the, I mean, right there, she says it, like focusing on the journey. And this is something I'm so big on is focusing on the journey and not the rewards at the end. And there's a part of my life where I did that, you know, a good part of my life where I was always looking for the external validation or the things. And now it's just so rewarding to chase down the person I want to be. And you never really get there. You know, you're always going to be on that journey. And people who put those uh, trophies, you know, if, if, it, if that's their goal, there's nothing wrong with that. But you aren't satisfied when you get, you get this temporary satisfaction, but I don't know, you know, I'm a neuroscience geek and I'm all about the internal reward system. Absolutely. And I think that that's, again, I had an epiphany over the summer that no one has it figured out and there's not a point that you do have it figured out. It's just that you keep working towards whatever. And it's, it's that version. That's where I came up with this three pillars. It's the, I'm looking for the bet my best self. And that's where I wanted to get a bunch of dads on here and talk about their own journey so that everybody realizes that like, man, I'm just getting up every day doing the best that I can. And I know that tomorrow, as long as I did the best that I did today, then I build on that tomorrow and every 1% adds up over time. You know, what's interesting too, I thought I should bring this up since, you know, you've got these three pillars, but I, I've often thought money is a really good mindset teacher. Have you ever thought of it like that? Like money teaches you so many things about life, right? Patience, compounding interest, right? Partnering. So one thing I'm big on teaching my kids about is the partnership with money. Well, and my clients too, like um, when we talk about money mindset, it, you know, are you coveting money? Like, are you worshiping it? Are you, you know, putting up on a pedestal? 
are you do you hate it do you not like yeah. thinking about it do you like you know try to get it out of your head as soon as possible or do you partner with it right like if you have a business partner like do you treat your money like a business partner but i see so many parallels with money and mindset i just i i i feel like i've got a really good partnership with money and it i just you know looking back i think it's been a really good teacher for me you know once i got that mindset right absolutely and do you think that you know how you got to that point was because of your ebbs and flows because of the valleys versus the peaks where you learn more about that? Yeah, certainly. I think um, I'm trying to think when it really started kicking in. I think I went through a phase of just, you know, I was really loose with my money. I always want to have nice, you know, I, I thought, I mean, you hear about this a lot, right? In the, the book, uh, Millionaire Next Door. I just, I remember reading that book and I was like, I do not want to be this like stingy guy. Like it painted a picture of me of this, you know, this guy that just was so afraid to spend money. And, you know, they were just like basically cheap asses. <laughs> and um, I didn't want to be that. And I just, I didn't enjoy the book very much. And then, you know, I had really, you know, loose wallet. I'd be spending a lot of money on junk and on things. And at one point I got into a ton of debt and I almost got, you know, went bankrupt and I pulled myself out of that. I created a business that completely wiped that out. And then I learned how to be better with money. I learned how to save. I learned how to invest. I never got, you know, in trouble with debt after that. I would never go back to that. Then I went kind of the other way where I was, you know, you know, I had high income, but I was living well, well, well within my means. And here's where it is for me is balance. Like, I don't believe in being extremely frugal either. It doesn't sound fun to me. And I think that when you, when you grasp on too tight, what's that telling your mind? It's telling your mind that you don't have enough. It's telling your mind that you need to clean and you are in your castle protecting your vault instead of with the drawbridge down out getting more. I think that's the, the one analogy I love sharing about abundance mindset is like, I'm, I've got money in the vault. I'm willing to share it. You know, I'm, I might lose some here and there, but I'm not going to be in the vault protecting that sleeping, you know, next to, to that chest and afraid somebody's going to take it. You know what I mean? I'm just going to, my mindset is I'm going to be at, this goes into expansion, right? Like I'm going to be out there creating more. So I, this is a big deal for very wealthy people. You know, they, if they live in that state, it doesn't matter how, that's the thing about abundance mindset is it does not matter how much money you have because you could have millions or billions of dollars even and feel like it's not enough and have the same internal state as someone with a poverty mindset. Isn't that crazy? It really is. And I think that that really leads it to, you know, the, the we've said this multiple times, mindset, mindfulness, things like that. So what does your mindfulness practice, mindset practice look like? That's a good question because a lot of my life I've lived in the future. I do a lot of visualization. I, I'm very goal-oriented. Goal, goal uh, the best way to describe this, as far as my practice, I, um, you know I spend a lot of time meditating. You know, part of that is visualization, which is living in the future. But part of it is this gratitude. You know, I wake up, like as, as I'm just waking up, and I start to feel myself breathe. I am so grateful for just waking up in the morning. I'm so excited to have this day to be alive and I can feel that air filling my lungs. So that's where my day starts as far as mindfulness. But I start thinking, you know, 
a lot of people talk about a gratitude practice. I think that gratitude is almost mindfulness because you're thinking about things that you have and are experiencing and being grateful for then therefore you're being mindful. And I think I've got my brain wired to the point where like gratitude is just a perpetual state for me. Like wherever I go, Dusty, I'm like, ah, I'm so glad. <laughs> like I get up in the morning, like first thing I, I'm grateful for my breath. I'm grateful for this comfortable bed that keeps me warm. I'm grateful for that fucking cold shower that I go through because it helps <laughs> me feel alive. Right. I walk through my house and I do not live in a mansion, but I, it feels like it. Right. I, I feel like I've got a nice home. And I'm walking through the walls of my house every day as if this is like a mansion that I live in. And I feel like a billionaire because I'm so grateful for what I have. There's not a billion dollars in my accounts, but it feels like it because I'm so grateful for it, right? I feel so abundant, you know, just like I walk through and I'm like, God, I love this fridge that I have. It's so nice. I love this water I'm drinking. It tastes so good. I love this air that's going into my lungs. It just feels so great. So I, I think that's a big part of my mindfulness practice, but meditation helps me get there and, and um, visualization kind of puts me in a future state. And then I don't know, I think like another thing that keeps me mindful is points of discomfort, right? Like the cold shower, when you get up there and you turn that cold shower on, especially if it's February, living where you and I live in the Rocky Mountains, <laughs> yeah. you really don't want, like your head's telling you, like, don't step in there. That looks very uncomfortable. But when you do it, it's like you feel alive. Like I am alive. Yes, this is, is uncomfortable. I'm so grateful that I'm here to feel this feeling. And you turn around and you hyperventilate as it goes down your back. But it's like, I love that, Dusty. Like that stuff keeps me mindful, right? Being nervous. If I'm doing something, if I'm doing like a live cast in front of like the internet, right? Like I love, like I switch it though. It's not, it's not nervousness, it's excitement. And Absolutely. when I used to bike race, like I'd show up to the line and I'd be like what most people would be, would describe as nervous. But I would say, I'm so grateful that I'm not in a hospital bed right now. Like I am out here. Yes, this is uncomfortable. It makes me nervous. I'm going to be in a lot of pain pretty soon, but I'm alive, Dusty. And so that, I think that's the best way to sum up my mindfulness journey is just feeling things and being good at feeling them at all times. Right. Uh, man, I love that. And there's so many, so many questions that I have. Um, one that I'm going to go with is, did you create this kind of, you know, gratefulness practice, if you will, it's not even that, but did, was there a moment that you were like, I'm going to just, I'm so grateful for waking up today. Or was that, have you always had it? I think I've, uh, it's, it's evolved over time for sure. I think I, I cannot pinpoint where it first started, um, showing up, but I can tell you one thing is I'm very interested in history and there's some painful moments in history that really make me grateful for where I am, for who I am, for where I live, for the things that I have. But I think a lot of people, I've, I've shared this before, that there's a big difference between comparison and perspective. And a lot of people live in a state of comparison. Now, pers perspective is very similar, right? Like you're using one point to judge another point. Same with comparison, right? But when you think of comparison, you think, of I don't have 
my neighbor has a freaking Lamborghini Huracan and I don't have one of those in my garage. Like I suck because I, I need to have that. That's not what I'm thinking. You know, I'm thinking like, I am so grateful. I don't live in a time of war. I'm so grateful. I live in where I do, where I have the resources that I can create that. If I did want that Lamborghini, then I could find a way to make it happen. Yep. And to me, that's, that's the difference is I think that that's where it all started was just having a compassionate heart and really feeling for people who have suffered. I mean, I, I have a hard time, you know, watching documentaries on really tough topics because my heart hurts so bad for it. Yeah. Sometimes I make myself do it just to, as a reminder, but I think that's probably where everything started was just the realization that we're so lucky to have what we have. And, and then, then I just kind of fine tuned that. Right. No, hundred percent. And, you know, the other thing you said too, and, and I think I picked this up from you, which is the visualization meditation and where I just started, you know, once or twice a week during my meditation, instead of doing a guided one, I just sit there quietly and think about where I want to be and what that's like when I've made it and what the drive feels like. You know what, and, and again, what's so great to, to your point about, you know, the neighbor with the Lamborghini, that visualization is still in my 2008 Subaru, you know, and it's still that kind of, because I'm that I'm so happy in that car that I don't need anything more. I'm happy that it's paid off and I'm not paying someone else for it. So it's those kind of things, but I found so much from just, I don't know what the right word is, benefit, I guess is probably the best word from thinking forward like that of where I wanted to go. And then now I got to create that process. But the question I have is how do you keep that, you know, again, in the present, you know, if we're thinking too far in the past, it's, that's where, how, what leads to depression. If we think too far ahead, that can lead to anxiety. So how do you kind of balance that excitement and not nervous, not nervousness when you're visualizing in the future, when you're living in the future, like you said? So here's the trippy thing. Um, when I used to visualize, it was always, a lot of people talk about visualization as like a mind movie, right? Like you're seeing yourself in the future doing this or that, like, and it, you're, you're basically seeing it on a screen or maybe even like first person, you see yourself walking through. Here's the key to visualization. This is going to blow your mind. Here's where it gets fucking deep is it's not about what you see. It's about what you feel. Okay. So when you have a feeling, whether that's anxiety or pleasure, right? Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, yep. that is actually a physiological chemical reaction within your body that you can attain through visualization. So my question is, if you're visualizing the future, but you're feeling those feelings that you would of this future state in your body now, what's the fucking difference? Because if you are, if I walk through my house and I am feel so wealthy, what does it actually matter if I get there? If I feel that right now. So to me, I'm not necessarily like I'm visualizing something that I don't even have, but I'm living, I'm actually physically living in that state. Yeah. Now here's the, here's another, this will blow your mind even more. Can your cells absorb those neurochemicals, right? They start to get used to them and they start to crave them just like a drug. So would, would you believe this, but your mind works 
on your, if you can train yourself to live in those states, whether that's a positive or a negative state, if you marinate in that long enough, would you agree that your subconscious will work on your behalf to make that happen? It will see things that you aren't normally seeing. It will take actions for you that you wouldn't normally do. It, it literally, you can wire yourself for success or failure by living in those states. Oh man, this is so awesome. So hundred percent. And and what I would say is that's the same thing where you, your, your body's going to do it anyways. Your unconscious, your subconscious is going to do these things anyways. So why not wire it for success? Right. And that, that's kind of what, what you're saying here is it's going to do it anyways. It's like a flywheel. It, you know, for, you talked about your Subaru that you like, I love that. Okay. So I bought like a Land Cruiser. Well, it's the Lexus version of Land Cruiser. And it's like 11 years old. You know, I, it's practically brand new. It's like clean and just like in perfect condition. And it like brand new, it's like a 90 or $100,000 car. I got it for less than a Toyota Corolla. When I get into that thing, my state is like, I feel so wealthy and abundant. I feel like I'm driving a $100,000 car. You know what I mean? So yeah. like you feel this. So visualization isn't necessarily, you know, projecting yourself into the future. You're just feeling an ideal state right now, which, you know, some, some people, they tether that to the external world, but I, I've got visualization down to a point where it's like, not only is visualization when I'm like meditating, but it's like when I'm walking around, like I live as if I'm in a different reality if that makes sense. And then the crazy thing is, is that that's my internal state. Like it just feels so freaking good, but I don't know here's the other thing too, that's going to blow your mind is, okay. Would you agree that we have a primitive mind that tries to keep us away from danger? Because in prehistoric times we had to have shelter. We had to find food. We had to stay warm. We had to have a tribe to protect us. Right. Yep. And that's responsible for a lot of our behaviors. So if you agree with that, you would agree that like when something is foreign to us, when we're, you know, when we, we detect something that we're not familiar with, we usually think of it as a threat or a danger. Right. Yep. And so that keeps us from like posting something on social media, right? Like right. it keeps us, it affects our behaviors. So think about this. If you were, if you were really good at visualization and you're living in the, the States of someone who makes a million dollars per year, that is no longer becoming a threat to you if you're living in that state. Therefore, you're going to take completely different actions than someone who doesn't visualize. So basically, like you're removing that like alert, that red alert in your mind that keeps you from trying new things. So although you might not do normally do these things that would create a million dollars in a year, like if you live in that state enough, then you start to walk into that territory because it's your mind isn't like keeping you away from that. It isn't throwing up the, the red alert sign. So fascinating to me. Uh, oh, I, I love it. Uh, so I think that's a, a great segue to one of my favorite questions, which is what are you curious about right now? Okay, this is a good one. I love that question. <laughs> and I love the ability <laughs> to answer these on the fly without prepping for them. Okay, here's, here's one thing I'm so curious about. What is your subconscious programming? What is my subconscious program? So before I change my headline on um, LinkedIn, it said crime scene investigator of limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome. So I'm really good at talking with people and finding out why they have those. 
if I talk with somebody and they tell me I've got a block around this or this or this, or I've got imposter syndrome, I've got negative self-talk, I can ask them about their past and I can find out where that came from. The trick is, is finding it out on myself. And it's like, yes. like what is my subconscious? Because I don't know. But here's what's crazy is just that, you know, what I'm curious about. Like, why do I think this way? You know what I mean? Like when I start to question myself. So it's like, I'm always playing both sides, like devil's advocate. This is what I'm thinking. And then when I have a belief, I'm curious about well, what word that come from? Why do I think that way? And what am I missing? So I am always asking those questions is like, why do, why am I responding that way? Why do I think that way? Is that how I really feel? Did, yeah. you know, did I observe something that made me think that way? Or is that like the true me? But yeah, curiosity for me is what's going on in my mindset because, you know, you, you kind of track it down by your actions and beliefs and that, and even then you still got to question it. Absolutely. Have you ever heard of the book, A Mind of Its Own? No. Sounds oh, good man. though. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about that after. It's, it's one of mine in, in my, it was in my first class for sports psychology. And it, it talks about all of those, our prefrontal cortex and how it runs everything for us. And we have to be, to your point, be aware of those things. And even when we try to be aware, we're not totally in control. So what is something that you failed at that you learned from? That was probably, I would say that was my biggest um, failure, I think, was getting to the point where I was almost where I needed to, um, I almost needed to go bankrupt. So I had, it was a combination of things. It was me living excessively out of my means, but also me making, you know, I've, I've always been in, well, not always, but I've been in, into investing for well over 20 years, but around the dot-com bubble. Before that, I started getting in, into investing and thought I was a genius. Uh, you know, we were like tripling our money, quadrupling our money. I was making fun of like the people like Warren Buffett, who I thought were so old school. And I am just like, yeah, we're crushing it. I think that it's me when it's really not. And um, start borrowing on margin. And then, um, yeah, the, the floor dropped out. I never had a margin call, but I just remember that deeply propelled me into debt. Um, I was like probably 30 years old. This, I'd say this is my biggest failure. I was, I was 30 years old and I, I didn't, I, I had good friends. I had a good upbringing. I had good, good family, a lot, you know, I always made a decent amount of money and yet I was close to bankruptcy and I was so ashamed, Dusty. I remember like it was, you know, New Year's Eve and like I had like a mountain of debt. I'm 30 years old. I have like a hundred thousand dollars of debt. A lot of that was in credit card debt. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I was so ashamed of myself. I was so pissed. I was like, how the fuck did you let it get here? And I, I, you know, someone approached me and said, well, you can get out of this. Just, you know, declare that you never, I can't remember what they found a loophole in the debt and said that you can do this and get out of it. Like you're going to get a lot of shit, a lot of creditors calling you and stuff like that. And I just remember that was where I had that about face with myself. And I, I'm like, that's not going to happen. I don't care if it felt like it was going to take like the rest of my life to get out of that. Like, I, I, I remember thinking, I don't care though. You brought this on, but this is where I had an about face with accountability. It was my biggest failure, but it was also like, dude, you got yourself into this. Now you get yourself out. I don't care if it takes you the rest of your life. 
And I just remember thinking, this is going to take so long to chip away. But just that very fire of saying that I'm going to take care of this and not like try to cheat my way out of it. I was able to, um, I wiped out that debt in a year. And wow, yeah, I created a business. I created a business that got me out of $100,000 of debt in one year. And then I had eight very good years after that, very abundant years before I crashed again. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's that's amazing. So your dad, you have these multiple streams of income, multiple businesses, essentially. What does your me time look like? And we already talked about meditation and mindfulness, but what is your, you know, what do you do to take time for yourself? Uh, I protect, so every, you and I are both big on morning routines and yeah, I get up at about um, 5.45, start my meditation, do that, some journaling, and then I'll, I'll hop on and drop a post some days on LinkedIn and uh, then I go work out and then I do my cold showers and my affirmation. So before I even start work, like I've got two solid hours of me time and um, I hit, that gives me a lot of momentum going to work. I feel like so mentally strong. Sometimes I'm dancing to music too. I love music, love DJing. That could be a part of it, but I always like that is non-negotiable for me. And on the weekends, I stretch out the meditation even more, but I get up pretty early and my kids, they know how to turn on the TV if they do get up within that time. So that is always blocked out. And then my family time is protected too. So it leaves this, you know, window of eight to nine hours where I can be like productive. And then I do shit on the weekends too, like for my business. And, you know, you asked about um, not, you know, you asked about what was it, um, not getting too overwhelmed and to, you know, to free yourself for more time. I do dip into that where there's some times where I'm going a little bit too far overboard, but like during COVID, it's just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste this time, dude. And for me, it's about like offloading shit. That's not important. Right. Binge watching and Netflix out the door so as as you get better with this is you know i look at like a truck and you have like you know so much that you could put in the back of the truck and you know if you want to bring something on at some point you're gonna have to check something off so it becomes this sorting you know like you've used up all wasted time it's no longer in the truck and it becomes like a question of like what's more important but i feel like that truck is (laughs) it's very got very very little wasted time and it's just, it's like me time, like productivity, and then my family. And that, like, that's about it, right? Oh, I love it. And, you know, that, that's such, a, I love the analogy of like, hey, the truck is full. And if you put something else on, then you got to get rid of something. And I do, you know, everybody talks about this kind of like, I joke about it, about case of the Mondays, right? You know, where, okay, now you got to come back to work on Monday because you've been partying all weekend. Well, if you're an entrepreneur, there is no weekend, it's, you, you know, and, and to your point, you do have to protect and, and my Saturday Sundays absolutely have more family time, but I still hit my workouts. I still have my meditation. I still have my, my personal stuff. It's a ton more me time. And then I do pop on there and, you know, do my, my work too. Cause it's just, it's a 24 seven type of thing, but I enjoy every moment of it. And I think that's the Love difference. That. That, that is, I mean, if you ha- hate the Mondays, then work towards something that you don't hate. This is what you're talking about, about like freeing up time. And I don't necessarily need to free up time if I love what I do to the point. And if I don't, what the fuck am I going to do about it? Right? Like if I hate where I'm at, if I hate what I'm doing, am I okay with that? Do I deserve that? I don't, I love myself to the point where it's like, that's not okay. That is below my standard, Dusty. 
Like I just will not accept having a job where I hate going to work on Monday and where I'm celebrating on Friday. That's not, not acceptable. And I, I feel like we get what we accept, right? Just like for you and me, we have like a higher bar. And if you're not there, that's fine. Just like, hopefully like, you know, I encourage people to get there, find that. Like it's okay to not be there, but be working towards it instead of giving in and tapping the fuck out. Oh, right? I love that. Love that. So we, we've talked about, you know, cycling and, and things like that. What does, you know, do you have a, a workout routine and what does that look like? Uh, I mix it up. Normally I'd be doing jujitsu. I've been staying away from the gym um, just during COVID, but I do have a um, jujitsu uh, trainer that I'm going to be working one-on-one with like, probably once a week. And then um I don't know. It's, it's going to be exciting. I told you I'm building a new gym with a tonal machine and an electrical rower. I used to be pretty hardcore into cycling. And, and when you're competing, you want to be extremely light. So like weights are not a good thing and you still do some resistance training, but I, I'm not competing anymore. And it took me years to get out of this mindset, but I think right now I'm ready to just to, to do some more intense um, weight training or resistance training and, you know, not be afraid to put on some weight, but I love to mix it up. I think, you know, me, it's like, I want to be doing, I want to be functional, right? Like I want to be strong. I want to have endurance. I want to be able to get off the couch and freaking run a 10 K with no problem. Right. Or, you you know, ride a hundred miles. Like I just want that level of fitness where it's like, I can do extraordinary things without having to train specifically training for them. Right. Like mix it up. CrossFit. I used to do that. I love that you do CrossFit. That was, I did that for a while. And I, that's a mindset thing too. Like fight gone bad. If you're going to do 15 minutes of hardcore, like CrossFit, like dude, you're walking in to get your ass kicked. And oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, I, the, um, not my joints though. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, like I've, when I've come to a place with CrossFit, you know, through my personal training career, I was, you know, I became a level two CrossFit trainer and I I've come at peace with, the way I would, you know, the way I do CrossFit, the way I would coach it, and it's perfectly safe, and it's not as crazy as what a lot of people are. Now, just like anything, you know, if you're going to be a professional football player, professional baseball player, professional CrossFitter, you need to train at a certain level and in, in certain movements and, and things like that, but you're also the 1% of the 1% genetically that can handle that load. So I think that that's what people don't understand is to be at the top of the top, you, you got to be set up genetically and then train your butt off. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I understand that I've always debated about this, like, can you out train talent? And the answer is, I'm, I'm sorry. No, you can't. Yes, you can train really hard, but I, I worked with a trainer that this guy had the same athletic or not the same athletic ability, but the same numbers as Von Miller. Okay. Now he was 30 pounds lighter and a couple inches shorter, but he had all the same numbers as Von Miller and he couldn't even sniff the NFL. And that's where I realized that one, you got to be in a great situation, but then you also just have to be genetically gifted. And my point is it's okay. We're not all meant to be at these NFL levels or whatever, we can just train within what we're good at and then just do it on a consistent basis. So that's where I just love, like I said, I'm a meathead and I love throwing around weight and it just, it's, it's my me time. I love that. I, I think cross the idea of CrossFit is so, 
so so I haven't been doing it um, for years, but like I love the the idea of functional fitness, right? Of just being ready to go for any circumstance. I think CrossFit, if you can do it in a safe way, it really prepares you well for life. And it, it's interesting because I also feel that way about yoga. I feel like yoga is kind of like the opposite of CrossFit, right? I think they're that prepares you for life in a different, and it's very restorative, real, really healing. And it's funny because I don't really do either of those, but I have such respect for both of them in different ways. CrossFit for pre preparing you for life in almost any physical situation. And then yoga is such a healing practice to do like for your body and for your mind. And I, yeah, maybe that's the direction that I need to head in next is, is to integrate both of those. But I think I just try to be well-rounded. Um, I, my wife, <laughs> we were talking about this. I've, I've trained, I'm trained less than I ever have in, you know, probably a decade and a half, but I'm still doing six to no, actually seven days a week, at least 45 minutes. And I, I feel like there's a, an apex, right? Like a, the time spent. Um, so if you just got again, that's the part of the truck that I've just unloaded extra training time. You know, I used to go ride for three, four, five hours. And it's like, you know, you can dump the, the baggage miles that just really don't do a whole lot for you. But my wife was like, well, why can't you just do 30 minutes? And I'm like, I, I want to be elite. I want to be in the top 1%, right? Like, I don't have to be the one of the one. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm physically able or if I have that, you know, what you said, the gift of being at that point. But I, I think, that, you know, for me, I want to, I don't care how old I am. I want to be crushing it. So I'm 46 years old right now. And it's like, I, I want to be the top 1% of 46 year olds and be able to just like be strong and, and, and lean and, and fast. Right. I love that. Absolutely. And I think that there's two, you know, so there was someone who back squatted 500 pounds and ran a five minute mile in the same day. Okay. And that was like, something someone threw this out that that'll never a crossfitter will never do that because they're too specialized you know you're on both sides of the spectrum of elite endurance or anaerobic endurance and then elite strength and this guy did it and then I, I was really curious and that's all he trained for for like eight weeks or something like that and I was like well that's not really what you and I are talking about you know and so you're never going to be an elite yoga master and then also back squat 500 pounds. But could you be really strong at yoga and back squat two times your body weight? Probably, you know? And so that's where like, let's bring in the parameters a little bit and be really good in all of it. I love that. You know, I was thinking about that because when I, when I used to train in cycling for five or six hours, uh, well, I, that would be on the weekends and then maybe like, you know, two hours each day so that would add up to like a part-time job and like my wattage was you know now is like maybe 10 percent lower than at my peak and i'm training like you know maybe four hours on a bike a week so it's like a quarter of the time but like 80 80 to 90 percent of the strength that i had before plus i'm 10 years older so it's like, you can always find that apex, you know, but like when, when you're competitive, you're all in, you're full send, you're yeah. trying to get to that one of the 1% and it's like, you'll do anything to get there. Absolutely. And, and so what I'll say is minimum effective dose. So that's where, again, it's like, okay, 
what what can it is 45 minutes the minimum effective a dose it might be you know where yesterday i kind of looked at my schedule and you know i've changed my routine where i'm working out in the afternoons and i was kind of looking at my day trying to get everything in and i was like i have 25 minutes to get warmed up and hit a workout and so i was like okay we'll just get in there and do it and i did eight sets of three bench press and 250 meter row as fast as i could and so I'm hitting heavy. Now, could if I had done just eight sets of three, I probably could have gone heavier on the bench press. But since I was, you know, my heart rate was 160 beats laying underneath that bar, I had to go a little bit lighter. So again, it's just like challenge yourself for what you have. And when you have more time, then spend more time. Absolutely. The thing that I think you and me are good at is we've trained ourselves in all these pillars for long enough to where we've got that really good foundation, right? Where it's it's now a matter of refining. It's not like a habit that's gonna fall apart. And it says a lot for, you know, habits, right? Like you get it, you, I don't care if you meditate for one minute, you know, do it until it's a habit and then increase from there. Just like you and I, you know, we're never gonna have to worry about working out, right? We're never gonna, we've got those, those habits built to the point where now it's just like refining them <laughs> to the best, that we can, you know, into enjoyment, right? To what we, what benefits us the most. And I, I think we're so lucky to be in that, in that position. This I think is a we struggle are, for a lot of people. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. I think that we are in the 1% in that realm that we don't have to think about working out. So what does your overall diet look like? My overall diet is Monday through Thursday, uh, or Friday day, <laughs> I eat really healthy. I try to do an inter intermittent, I, I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting or I guess time restricted eating. So I try to finish dinner about um, six o'clock, 6.30. And then um, I don't eat anything through my workout in the morning. Um, after my workout, I'll do a bulletproof coffee. So uh, I'm not a coffee drinker, but coffee with shea butter and MCT oil. The reason for that is, it, you know, you start to enter that ketosis phase and uh, you know, meaning that like you're going into starvation mode after about 12 hours. So your mind actually gets a lot sharper. So this is a complete mindset hack. And so after 12 hours, your mind is like, I better find some food. So it makes you a little bit sharper and uh, a little bit more aggressive. And what the um, Bulletproof does is it it keeps you in that state, but gives you a little bit of calories. So there's about 110 calories, but that allows me to be uh, fasted and focused until about, you know, 1130 or noon the next day. So that's, you know, like 16 to 17 hours of intermittent fasting. And then um, I eat a healthy lunch and a healthy dinner. And um, on the weekends, I just kind of let it go. I'll, um, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's like a cycle, but I think you need that. I could definitely refine it. You know, the, optimally it'd be just like one day where it's just like anything goes and then six days of doing what I do during the week. Um, I'm right there with you. And I'm very, very similar. That was one of the benefits of booming my workout from 5 a.m. to 4 p.m. is now I can get back into my fasting which I absolutely love. I've done the Bulletproof Coffee. Where I, I go the uh, Kerrygold Butter route. And then I've just gone, because I love coffee, and that, that came from my training days, is you know we're caffeine addicts. And so, it again, our, our mind will run off of ketones. 
And that comes from either breaking down fat in our body or if we provide it through good fatty acids in butter, MCT oil, things like that. The other thing is caffeine actually releases that as well. So that's why this, you know, and then it makes your brain sharper because you're already in that fuel state because of sleeping through the fast or fasting while you're sleeping. So I'm right there with you, man. And yes, I'm, I could also clean it up on the weekends and, you know, with, with kids and, and the wife who want, who doesn't want to eat that way, then, you know, you just kind of let it go a little bit. And, and I'm happy. Like I always joke that I don't want to know a life that doesn't have coffee and bacon in it. Absolutely. That's part of balance and part of living, you know, I think it's, you know, if, if you really enjoy eating super hyper clean, that's more power to you. I, I, I don't think it'll be easy for me to be like that, you know, all the time. I think my sugar is my uh, kryptonite <laughs> and uh, I like to, I just like the taste of food, but luckily my wife helps out with a lot of that. She, she cannot eat um, dairy. She's gluten-free. She's nightshade free. So off the bat, she makes some pretty incredible meals for me um, that are, you know, stay away from a lot of, uh, she never buys processed food either. So it's like uh, right off the bat, we're getting some good stuff, but you know, um, I'll eat like pizza on the weekends. <laughs> I want to be cognizant of our time. I have a couple, couple last questions. Sure. One of which is you just kind of led me that way, which is what is one thing that your kids would leave left over on their plate that you will always eat? Oh my gosh. Right now it's saying a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> Why? Cause we don't make a lot of them. They just sounded uh, that or yeah. I think grilled cheese sandwich. I would always eat that. I love cheese. I love bread. Um, and it's just so funny that that popped into my head. <laughs> Cause like, yeah, someone asked like, if you had to get rid of, um, chocolate for a year or pizza for a year, which would it be? And I was like, can, uh, neither <laughs> can, <laughs> can I can answer that question. Cause I like it both, but grilled cheese sandwiches popped into my head right there. So we'll go with that. <laughs> if you had a bumper sticker, just a one liner that you want the whole world to follow, what would it be? It would be a quote from a movie called Point Break. Okay, so remember the surfer movie? <laughs> okay. Absolutely. I could probably come up with a, get a better one than this, but this one always comes up when I'm thinking of like a good saying or good quote. Uh, when he first got started in the FBI, Agent Johnny Utah, his, um, his uh, supervisor, uh, Captain Ben Harp, says to him, you don't know anything. In fact, you or you you don't you know nothing. You know, in fact, you you know less than nothing. If you knew something, if, or if you knew you knew nothing, then that'd be something. But you don't. And the reason why I like that quote, Dusty, is it's a beginner's mindset, right? Like we start. We, it's such a blind spot that we think we know everything, right? And I have been wrong about so many things in my life, and that's what causes me to question myself, right? I've been wrong. I need to make a list of all the things that I've been incorrect on. And so that gives me the mindset of like, what is what I'm thinking right now, correct? And I'm always like questioning myself. So I think I'll go with that, that is just to have a beginner's mindset talk. Never, to always question yourself, always question your beliefs. There you go, I love that. So last question, what is something that you thought I was going to ask, but I didn't? How, I got started with mindset. Like, how did I get started in personal okay. development? Love it. Love it. And I think that 
some of those questions was like, you're just exuding it, you know, that it's almost like you found this. So answer that question now. How did you get into it? I had a, when I used to, when I was young, I was teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It was so new in the United States. This is around the first uh, Ultimate Fighting Challenge. And I was lucky to learn from uh, a guy who is now a grandmaster of Jiu-Jitsu, one of the most um, celebrated and prominent Jiu-Jitsu instructors in this entire world. We were teaching out of like gyms, like like high school gyms at this time. That's how new Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was. And he had me teaching the adult beginners class. And there was one guy that he was overweight and he just had a really hard time grasping the, the concept and learning the moves. And I just remember, I, you know, I, I felt so bad for him. And I started like taking him aside, giving him private lessons and just assuming he had no extra money. You know, I didn't charge him anything for this, but I just spent time teaching him jujitsu. And one day, you know, like I asked him what he did and he said, you know, I'm like a, I'm into real estate and he was worth like millions of dollars. And he, you know, he's like, I'm happy to teach you some stuff. And then he started teaching me about real estate, which I've never done, but I learned about it. <laughs> but he gave me a book called psycho cybernetics, which is a classic uh, mindset book about self image. And that was the first personal development book that I ever got. And that started this, like this drive in me to get better and, you know, I started reading like Think and Grow Rich, some of those classic books, got into Tony Robbins, but I think it all started with this overweight white belt in jujitsu and just, you know, like I never expected this out of him, but he was, you know, worth millions of dollars. And he always talked about mindset was where it all started and gave me, he said, this book changed my life and he gave me a copy of it. That's, that was where, where it began for me. Oh man, I love it. And this has been so much fun. There are so many nuggets in here about mindfulness, about abundance. Uh, you absolutely exude the three pillars approach. So man, this has been fun. Thank you, brother. It was so good to jam out with you. We got to do it more often. So proud of you doing this. This is your host, Dusty DeGroff. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Thanks again and see you next time.